Hello, my name is Molly Griffin, and um, this may or may not be my only podcast recording, but it's certainly my first. But we're just going to get into it. Um, today, we're going to be talking about Arthur Conan Doyle. Um, he is best and most widely known for his writing of Sherlock Holmes. Um, but after reading about him and getting to know him a bit more through history, uh, he should have been known for many other things in my opinion, and I, I honestly think it's kind of a shame that Sherlock was his only work, as it was evident in himself that that wasn't his favorite work to do. Um, writing Sherlock was not something he did because he liked it. He did it to make money. but. Let's let's go back and let's start when he was born and we'll go from there. Okay. So Arthur was born on May twenty second, eighteen fifty nine. Um he was born in Edinburgh, Scotland, and he was born into an Irish Catholic family. Um his relationship with his father wasn't great. He was an alcoholic. Um he was a moderately successful artist and it seems he was had erratic behavior at the least. Um didn't seem to be the best father figure. But uh Conan Doyle really loved his mother. She was a brilliant storyteller and he notes that most of his childhood he can't even remember, but the parts that he does remember or did he's passed um were these stories that his mom told him and that's pretty much what lightened up his childhood um but it's important to note that he and his family never had money um so that's what they were trying to get their whole lives pretty much but when arthur was nine um wealthy family members of theirs like i'm assuming more distant offered to pay for his studies. Um, this was not what he wanted, um, considering the school was a religious, or Catholic specifically, boarding school. Uh, Arthur did not agree with the bigotry that surrounded his studies, and at the time, corporal punishment was a big thing in uh, these boarding schools. Oh, I forgot to mention that this boarding school is in England. So yes, that was the trend in England apparently at this time. And so he's nine. He's hating boarding school. He's rebelling. Um, he's really unhappy. He reports that his only moments of happiness were when he wrote to his mom. Um, so he practiced sports. You know, he he was good at a lot of things, but he always had this underlying kind of need for more. He it would make sense that you would think he would go into a career about creativity, um, but that's not the path he chose. And I, I know you're thinking, yes it is. But there's more of the story and that's what I was trying to get at by saying that, you know, he should be known for a lot more. But um during his time at this boarding school, which he stay that until he graduated at 17 in 1876. Um, this is when he added Conan as his middle name. He was, he actually was called just Arthur Doyle previously, which I thought was interesting, but when he graduated at 17, he added Conan, and he had realized at this point that he had a talent for storytelling. Um, he was found surrounded by younger students listening to his stories that he had made up and it amused them and captivated them so he had realized that he had a similar ability to his mom's and he also had a good sense of humor um he was sportsmanlike as in he valued you know being fair fairness and he wanted to explore the world um he says that quote Perhaps it was good for me that the times were hard, for I was wild, full-blooded, and a trifle reckless, but the situation called for energy and application, so that one was bound to try to meet it. 
My mother had been so splendid that I could not fail her. So he was trying to start his life doing something that, you know, he thought would make his mother proud um, and, uh, to, you know, to create a career, make money. But upon his arrival home after graduating, his first task was to um, commit his father to an insane asylum or lunatic, I suppose is the correct term, um, as he was demented. Um, I'm not sure if they had a great understanding of dementia at the time, but it was seeing that he was no longer fit to be taken care of, and he um, committed him. And so then after that, 17, uh, he was deciding what to go for as a career. Um, he actually wound up going in the medical field. Um, he always had the desire to help um, be of aid, and we'll see that repeat throughout his life. Um, you might be wondering why he chose the medical field or how he got introduced to that. Um, actually, his mother had taken in a lodger, a young lodger named Dr. Brian Charles Waller. Um, she had done this to make ends meet, make a little bit of money, um, and Dr. Waller had been educated at the University of Edinburgh, and that's where uh, Arthur went to study medicine. Um, as he was there, he met a number of future authors who were also attending the university, and he was influenced by them, their conversations, and he met a few other people, one of which was a teacher, Dr. Joseph Bell, and this man, Joseph Bell, was actually a large influence for the Sherlock character that we see in the future, um, as he has many of the similar characteristics. Uh, he would, the Dr. Joseph Bell was a master at observation, logic, deduction, and diagnosis. So you can see that Conan Doyle celebrated these characteristics and found them valuable. So a few years into his studies um, at the University of Edinburgh, he, Conan Doyle decided to try writing a short story. Um, this would be the first story he wrote that became published. He wrote one other story previously, um, but I don't think he tried to get that published and it was called The Surgeon of Gasterfell, and it was about his father in the insane asylum in that situation, so I think that was more of a personal work, um, but this one, the one that gets published, was called The Mystery of Sasesa Valley, and um, it was remnant of Edgar Allan Poe and Bret Hart, which were his favorite authors of the time, and it was accepted in the Edinburgh Magazine, and it was called the Chambers Journal, which that had, incidentally, published Tom Hardy's first work. Um, this was the first instance that Conan Doyle realized that you could actually make money off of this kind of thing, um, and that was a great plus to him. So as Doyle was in school for a couple of years, um, now fast forward, he's now 20, in his third year of medical study, and he had an opportunity to go on a sort of adventure. He was offered um, a spot on a ship going to the Arctic Circle as a ship surgeon. It was a whaling boat by the name of Hope, and he did not enjoy the brutality of the actual whaling exercise. Um, he was actually appalled by it, but apart from that, um, he enjoyed everything about the experience. He said, quote, I went on board the whaler, a big struggling youth. I came off a powerful, well-grown man. He said that the Arctic had, quote, awakened the soul of a born wanderer. Um, and this adventure is what created his first story about the sea called Captain of the Pole Star. He um, seemingly reluctantly 
uh, returned back to his studies in the autumn of 1880, and a year later he obtained his Bachelor of Medicine and Master of Surgery degree. Uh, he was humorous in this that he often drew a sketch of himself receiving the diploma with the caption of License to Kill. So this man was funny. But soon after this, um, his first employment was as a medical officer on a steamboat, um, and it was going to be navigating between Liverpool and the west of the coast of West Africa. Apologies. Um, unfortunately, uh, he actually didn't enjoy this as much as he did the Arctic Circle trip. Um, he kind of got off the boat as soon as he could whenever it docked back in England. And then he had some type of altercation with a doctor, um, which is uh, described in his work, The Stark Myrno Letters. You can refer to that if you'd like to know more. But, you know, after that, he was broke. He had just finished school, and his employment was brief. Um, so he was looking for ways to make money at this point. So interestingly, um, he had rented a house to be able to practice out of as a doctor. Um, he was only able to furnish two of the rooms in the house, only the rooms that his patients would see, and the rest of the house was completely bare, um, practically. So his practice was off to a questionable start, he didn't have much ground to stand on yet, but he was a compassionate man and he worked hard, so after three years, his practice started to earn an, a livable income, wages he could be comfortable on. Um, he then decided to kind of split his life into being a doctor and becoming an author. Um, he was trying to do both at the same time, um, and during this time, uh, he met a young woman named Louisa Hawkins, which happened to be the sister of one of his patients, and that becomes his wife. Um, they got married in 1885, and he described her as being gentle and amiable. Um, so right after this marriage, or I suppose not right after, uh, a year after, in 1886, um, this is when Doyle started writing the novel that, you know, sent him into his most well-known phase of fame. He named it originally A Tangled Skein, but, you know, um, that's not what it wound up being. Um, the characters were also named Sheridan and Ormond. Sheridan Hope, which I'm assuming is a play on the name of that ship he so much appreciated, um, which I found interesting. Uh, and two years after he wrote it, it was published in Beaton's Christmas Annual under the title A Study in Scarlet. In A Study in Scarlet um, were introduced the ever so well-known Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson. Um, however, Conan Doyle preferred his other novel, um, Micah Clark, which was well-received at the time, but is now not known practically at all. Um, which, this is kind of the beginning of the end for him. I won't say that. I'll say that with a grain of salt, because he had much more success after this point, but this was when he first had the problem of disliking the work that was most popular. Um, Doyle, he described the work with Sherlock Holmes as, at best, quote, commercial. Um, he had a, a several works that were serious historical novels, poems, and plays, and he expected to be recognized as a serious author for those work, um, that's not wound up, that's not really what wound up happening, but at this time he also wrote a strange tale about the afterlife and three Buddhist monks, um, this is called The Mystery of Clumber, uh, this just kind of 
this is only important because later in life he he brings spiritualism back into his work several times over. So I just thought I'd introduce that. But um, surprisingly, or I guess interestingly, he was better known as a writer in the United States than in England at this point. Uh, in 1889, Joseph Marshall Stoddart who was the managing editor of a popular magazine in Philadelphia, he came to London to organize a British edition of his magazine. He wanted to create one there. And he invited Doyle to have a meal in London. Um, uh, so he invited him to have a meeting, and he had also invited Oscar Wilde, um, who was already well-known at this point, and so Oscar Wilde and Conan Doyle came and it was said that Doyle, in spite of being in his best suit, um, he looked quite shabby in comparison to Wilde, but it was noted that they got along pretty well. And as a result of the meeting, uh, Doyle wound up writing for this publication. So he was commissioned to write a short novel, and that was published in England and the U.S. in February of 1890. Um, it's called The Sign of Four. That was one of the first most popular stories involving Sherlock Holmes, and it's kind of what solidified his presence in culture at that point. Um, but this brings me back to the dichotomy he faced in his life of being um, unsure or confused as to why audience members liked his more unserious work. And to write the sign of four, he had to set aside time and stop writing um, a novel called The White Company which was a historical novel, and he said he enjoyed writing that most. So, again, here he was not getting able to do what he actually most enjoyed, um, instead was writing about Sherlock. But I will say it's kind of important to note that the characters in this historical novel um, had all the same traits of decency and honor that um, the author and also Sherlock had. So. Just another example of him valuing those virtuous traits. Um, but at this point, he was having literary success and he was also successful in his medical practice. Um, he had a nice family life. It was harmonious and uh, pretty happy. Uh, he had he just had the birth of his daughter Mary. Um, however, this wasn't fulfilling for him. He was, he was restless still. Um, his restlessness grew him to leave Portsmouth, which was where he was with his family. Um, and he decided to open a practice in Upper Wimple Street. Um, and according to his autobiography, not a single patient ever crossed his door. He never had a any patients to treat, um, no business, and so his he had a lot of downtime um, to think and consider, and as a result of that, he made a very profitable decision. Um, he decided to continue writing a series of short stories with the same characters of Sherlock, um, and at this point, he's represented by A.P. Watt. Um, and he, Watt got him a deal with the Strand magazine, and this is what continuously published Sherlock Holmes stories. Um, interestingly, the image of Holmes clearly is a fictional character, but his image was created by an illustrator who took his handsome brother as model for the detective, which I found kind of funny. Um, but the collaboration of Conan and Watt continued for decades, and it's what made the magazine and Doyle world famous. Um, but in 
May of 1891, so I believe he was 32 at this point, he was writing some of the earliest Sherlock Holmes stories, and he was actually struck with influenza. And at this time, it was a very serious condition. Um, he was between life and death for a couple days, um, but he his health soon improved. Um, that situation, that severity of not knowing if he was going to die or live, he realized how foolish he had been in trying to be an author and a doctor simultaneously. Um, he didn't want to do that anymore, so he fully abandoned his medical career. And that's right around the time that Louisa, his wife, gave birth to their son named Kingsley, which he later coined as the chief event of their lives. Um, good to see his priorities. <laughs> um, so a year after his son was born, um, his work was doing great. Um, he was a prolific writer. Um, he had thousands and thousands of fans. They all loved Sherlock Holmes, but he was quite impulsive and that's not the work he wanted to be writing, so he decided to end Sherlock's life. Um, he wrote the final problem, which was published in December 1893, uh, where the characters Sherlock Holmes and Professor Moriarty um, fell and plunged to their deaths in Switzerland. Um, and as a result of this, over 20,000 readers canceled their subscription to the Strand magazine, who had been publishing Conan's work. So now he was no longer a medical professional, and he was free from the fictional character that he felt <laughs> had oppressed him and overshadowed the work that he considered real art finer, more impressive art. Um, but unfortunately, um, as the height of all of this was happening, his writing, his ending of Sherlock's life, he hadn't realized that his wife's health had been deteriorating. Um, by the time that he became fully aware of how sick she was, she was diagnosed with tuberculosis. She was estimated to have a few months to live. Um, but her husband, having background in the medical field, helped her to live um, until the new century, 1900. So he was writing constantly and looking after Louisa. Um, and to him, she was no longer his wife, but more of a patient. And then also at this time, his father passed away, who was in the asylum. So these events resulted in depression, um, and this depression, he became fascinated with life beyond the veil, as he says. Uh, like I said earlier, he stays attract attracted to spiritualism, and he joined the Society of Physical Research, which basically attached him to the occult and the belief in it, um, and at that time that wasn't viewed very positively, in the UK at least, but um, in America he was asked to give talks to more than 30 cities, and he went on this little tour, and it was a major success actually. Um, there was an article in the Ladies' Home Journal, and the quote was, Few foreign writers who have visited this country have made more friends than A. Conan Doyle. His personality is a peculiarly attractive one to Americans because it is so thoroughly wholesome. So he was received well in America, and then he returned to England, right in time for Christmas, right in time for another publication to the Strand, um, and this started uh, another series of his 
um, that gained popularity. He has a couple of them. It wasn't just Sherlock. Uh, but his wife was not doing well. Um, he wanted to take Louisa to Egypt to get her out of the winter weather. So in 1896, they did that. He thought that it would be good for her, but in the process, he wrote another novel, The Tragedy of Orozco, not related to Sherlock, but interesting nonetheless. But this is where it gets a little confusing. Now, I, I know you've probably heard me insist he was a, ma a man of virtuous traits, but this part has me slightly averted to that. However, I'll just let you form your own opinion. Um, so it was believed that he stayed celibate throughout the rest of his dying wife's life, Louisa. Um, but she was pretty much bedridden and deathly ill, of course. So she wasn't, um, as much of a companion as she once was. No fault to hers, but Holmes did fall in love with another woman. Um, her name is Jean Lecky. We first saw her in 1897. She was only 24. So, of course, he thought she was incredibly beautiful. Um, and she had several accomplishments that were unusual for a woman at that time. And she was um, a musician. Um, she was very smart and educated. And apparently she had ties to Scottish uh, royalty. So those things kind of all attracted Conan Doyle. Um, so evidently he was secretly seeing Jean um, while his wife was dying. So it makes me question how substantial his relationship with Louisa was originally. But keep in mind they do have two children together. Um, but around the point of him meeting this Jean, um, he wrote a play about Sherlock Holmes. Um, so not a short story or novel, but a play. And this was not to revive Sherlock. Keep in mind, Sherlock is dead. Um, fans are outraged. They are very mad at Doyle. Doyle didn't do this to revive him, start up the legacy again. He just wanted to make money. Um, that's another common theme in his life. And he actually sold it to an American company, and they pretty much removed all of Doyle's writing and just kept the characters. Um, but Doyle didn't care. He was like, he literally said, quote, You may marry him, murder him, or do anything you'd like to him. So, Doyle didn't really care how much they changed the story, story really. Um, he, when the revisions were sent back, there was literally nothing left of his writing, and he said, quote, It's good to see the old chap again. So, he really didn't care, He, but he did make a good buck off of it, because um, it was pretty popular in the United States. Um, and then, eventually, it opened in London, and it was originally seen as not that good from the experts at least but the fans loved Sherlock so it was of course successful so at this point in Conan's life um, he started throwing himself into other things besides writing um, the Boer War started um, and he had written about uh, many battles but had never actually been in one so he actually decided to enlist. Um, however, he was overweight and 40. So they deemed him unfit. <laughs> um, of course, his family was relieved because they were like, why are you doing that? But he persisted. That's another recurring theme. Um, and he volunteered as a medical doctor and sailed to Africa in February of 1900. Um, from this, he gained experiences and wrote the work, The Great Boer War. Um, and after the war, um, 
he still felt unsatisfied um, at this point even exhausted or disappointed with his lack of fulfillment he went for another change in direction and when he returned to England he decided to go into politics um, he ran for a seat in central Edinburgh and he was described as the quote premier radical stronghold of Scotland because he was raised by Catholics and was accused unfairly of being a Catholic bigot. But he only lost by a narrow margin, so the public opinion couldn't have been too bad. He then returned to London and continued writing. Um, uh, he decided to write his next novel, um, and he was thinking of concepts and trying to create characters, and he was stuck on the, the hero. Uh, he couldn't figure out which hero he wanted to write, and then he realized he already had one. Um, it was a great character, and he didn't feel as though he should rewrite a new one when he already had Sherlock Holmes. Um, but he didn't formally resurrect Holmes. He just wrote another story as if he hadn't died. Um, this, the fans didn't care though. They loved it. Called the Hound of Baskervillis. Um, and the fans loved it. Um, it was kind of a prequel situation uh, predating his death, but it kind of further perpetuated the love that they had, or the fans had. For Sherlock. Um, interestingly, uh, a year later, King Edward the Eighth, Seventh. I'm sorry, but I really can't read Roman numerals. Um, he knighted Conan Doyle for services rendered to the crown during the Boer War. Um, <laughs> the rumor was that the king was such a large fan of Sherlock that he had put the author's name on the honors list just to encourage him to write new stories. <laughs> um, so that being said, it was very popular and him, the king, and all of the fans of Sherlock were elated in 1903 when the Strand magazine started producing The Return of Sherlock Holmes. These were short stories um, that basically concluded that Sherlock's fall in Switzerland wasn't fatal. Uh, he actually survived the fall, so he was then alive. Um, but we know, uh, Conan at this point, he wasn't satisfied with that. So he was writing still, still looking after his sick wife. She was still alive. And he was still secretly dating Jean. Um, and he was also doing a lot of other things, which you would say today just to feel something. Um, <laughs> he was playing golf, driving fast cars, riding in hot air balloons, flying in the earliest, most archaic, uh, frightening versions of airplanes spent time on muscle development, which is what they used to call bodybuilding, but none of that made him feel full. He didn't ever feel substantiated. So he quenched his lingering desire for public service, and he made a second attempt at politics in the spring of 1906. He lost again. Um, then after this, um, in, on the 4th of July in 1906, his wife Louisa passed away in his arms. He slipped into a state of depression, um, but um, to pull him out of this depression, he decided to help someone who was worse off than he was. Um, in this case, it was an injustice. Um, a man had been convicted of having slashed a number of horses and cows 
and Doyle used his logic and observational skills to deem that this man being convicted had such poor eyesight that it was proof that he couldn't have done these things. Um, so he was kind of playing Sherlock in this real-life instance um, because he couldn't tolerate the injustice. Um, and this led him to write another criminal work called The Case of Oscar Slater uh, in 1912, which detailed that situation. And then finally, after nine whole years of secret courtship, um, his then-girlfriend, Jean Lecky, became his wife. Um, very publicly, they got married in front of 250 guests on September 18, 1907. Um, him and Jean moved uh, to a new home that they called Windlesham in Sussex. Um, he spent the rest of his life living there and he kept a small apartment in London uh, at the same time. He was very happy at this point in his life. Um, him and his wife shared uh, several activities together that they both enjoyed. So he wasn't really creating many, work, many more works at this time. Um, this man can't sit still, so in the next couple of years, he tried to write a couple plays, um, but they didn't really do well. Nobody liked them. But, of course, he persisted. He wrote a third play about boxing. Um, it was called The House of Temperley, and it closed after three months. But... He still needed to make money, of course he did, um, and he wrote his fourth play, but this time it included Sherlock Holmes. He wound up calling it The Speckled Band, and it was very well known and had been very successful. Um, for some reason he included uh, a real live snake in this production, and he insisted that it be a live snake, uh, whereas the actors and stage crew uh, begged for an artificial one, um, and later Do Doyle admitted that that was a mistake, um, that uh, it didn't turn out well. That's all I'll say. There were complications, but however, the play still got incredible reviews, and he made a good chunk of money. Um, but after that play, he wanted to retire from stage work, quote, not because it doesn't interest me, but because it interests me too much. Um, take from that what you will. But then, uh, his new wife, Jean, birthed two sons, Dennis and Adrian. Dennis was born in 1909, Adrian in 1910. Um, and that the birth of these boys kept him from concentrating on his fictitious work, as well as the birth of his last child, his daughter Jean, in 1912. Um, a couple years went by before he created something new. Um, his new work was the called The Lost World, and it was an incredible success. It had nothing to do with Sherlock, but it was another series of his that did very well. Um, it would be considered science fiction now, but it, that term didn't exist at this point. Um, and it was about a, it was about Professor Challenger's adventures. That's the character of the book. Um, but then his next work called The Valley of Fear was the second full-length Sherlock Holmes novel that was published again in the Strand magazine in early 1914, but the book only featured Sherlock Holmes for like a portion of the novel, like a large part of it did not have Sherlock in it at all even though he was a character, so the, the fans of Sherlock were disappointed, um, their thirst was not quenched, but again uh, Doyle's interests largely had nothing to do with Sherlock. Um, he was a man of travel, 
him and his wife um, traveled to New York, um, traveled to Canada, and Doyle had been concerned about a coming war with Germany. Um, he had sent articles to newspapers about organizing military readiness um, many years before World War One had broken out. He had written work expressing his views about the new untested warfare, quote, these new factors are the submarine and the airship. Um, he was theorizing ways that these new technologies could be blockades um, by enemy ships. Uh, he came up with these theories long before any British naval leaders did, um, but they judged his warnings. Um, they basically told him he was crazy. They called them, quote, uh, fantasies. Um, most naval experts claim that. But soon, of course, the war did break out. At this point, Doyle is 55. <laughs> and here we go again with the persistence. He offered to enlist again. He was denied again. But then he organized um, civilian volunteers and he was witnessing British soldiers dying left and right, um, more than a thousand lives in a single day. And he started thinking up ideas and ways to help this. This is one of the things that I think he should be more known for. Um, he provided suggestions to the war office that they should provide inflatable rubber belts and inflatable lifeboats to the soldiers and he also spoke of body armor to protect soldiers on the front. They, the government officials found him irritating most of them, but not Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill actually wrote him thank you letters for his ideas and during this time he was writing a book called The British Campaign in France and Flanders, and he was given permission to visit the British and French fronts in 1916. He witnessed several battlefronts um, in the war, and he was horrified by the fallen soldiers' remains, of course. Um, during this time of the war, um, he decided to write about Sherlock again. He was maybe not intentionally, maybe intentionally, maybe to make money, making up for the lackluster reception of his second Sherlock novel, um, and he published a work called His Last Bow. Um, and this was pretty influential at the time because in the story Sherlock infiltrates and takes down a German spy ring, which was timely war propaganda. Um, take from that what you will. But again, Doyle's hungry sense of justice had been tapped into again. Um, he heard of an Irish diplomat being accused of, quote, the foulest traitor who had ever drew breath. and. Conan had actually known this diplomat uh, years before and had liked this man. Um, he had even alerted Doyle to awful injustices committed, um, and Doyle knew that he could not have been a traitor. Um, he was found as a traitor for being guilty of having tried to get Germany's support um, for the Irish independence movement. Um, Doyle did his best to spare this convicted man's life. He used the grounds of insanity, uh, but they unfortunately discovered this man's diary and he had details of being homosexual, which at this time was also a criminal offense. So traitors and being gay were about the same in their eyes. So. 
uh, he was executed anyways. Um, Doyle did not have these same feelings of homosexuality. He was more liberal in that sense, um, which alludes to why he was not invited to sit in the House of Lords later on. Um, the war was hard on Doyle for a couple of reasons. First, he lost his son, his brother, his two brothers-in-law, and two nephews to the war. Um, the These losses, particularly the death of his son and witnessing horrors from the war, uh, progressively made his interest in spiritualism more prominent, um, his interest in the occult more prominent. He started researching topics of fairies after coming across an image of one that he perceived to be undoctored, and wrote a work on it called The Coming of Fairies. Um, the press mocked him for this, and the clergy disapproved of him. Of course, they were very anti-anything cult, uh, but nothing deterred him. Um, of course, another recurring theme we have, um, because his wife supported him. She was seen as a level-headed woman, and she believed that he was a talent of, quote, trance writing, um, which I found interesting. So in 1918, he was deepening his involvement into the occult, um, and he wrote next to no fiction, uh, writing about spiritualism instead. They still traveled quite frequently. They traveled to America, Australia, Africa, accompanied by their three children, um, in hopes of finding some type of spiritual um, conclusion or knowledge. Uh, he spent over a quarter of a million pounds in this pursuit, uh, so he was broke. Um, and in 1926, uh, the series about the Professor Challenger appeared again, and he wrote more about that series. And then, two years later, his last 12 stories about Sherlock were compiled in the casebook of Sherlock Holmes. Um, and then in autumn of 1929, um, he was diagnosed with angina, and he decided to go on one of these spiritual tours again to Holland, Denmark, Sweden, and Norway. Um, he was in so much pain by the time that he returned that he had to be carried ashore. Um, he was bedridden from that time on. He managed to have one last adventure on, um, in 1930 on a spring day where he rose from his bed um, and no one saw him, but he went into the garden and he was found laying on the ground, one hand clenching his heart, the other holding a single white snowdrop. Um, so yes, he did die on Monday, July 7th, 1930. He was surrounded by his family. His last words before departing were for his wife, and they were, quote, You are wonderful. Um, he said that that last adventure he had taken was, quote, the greatest and most glorious adventure of all. So you could say um, he did a decent amount with his life. <laughs> you can say it was pretty full circle. But now I want to talk a little bit more about Sherlock Holmes specifically. Um, now that you know about Conan Doyle and his history. So, Sherlock was a fictional character um, who is a detective, and he was best known for his logic, astute observation skills, and deductive reasoning, and he used these to solve cases. Um, these were all seen as positive characteristics as knowledge is power in most situations. And 
Sherlock says in the book, quote, My name is Sherlock Holmes. It is my business to know what other people don't know. Um, so Sherlock has some of the persistent qualities that um, Conan Doyle did as he spends his detective career solving mysteries that no other detective could. But I want to point out that similarly to Conan Doyle's um, knowledge and his reasoning skills, Sherlock was ahead of his time, or more so Doyle was ahead of his time. Um, There were instances where Sherlock was using forensic techniques that had not yet been considered. Um, this was this includes fingerprints. Um, Sherlock was using fingerprints in the second novel or the second book published called The Sign of the Whore. Sherlock was using fingerprints and that was in 1890 and fingerprints weren't used to solve real crimes in like in organized um, justice systems until 1901. So you could say that he definitely influenced our real world and knowledge. Aside from that quite major um, real world outcome, Doyle also uh, created something that, as I've previously stated, he didn't really intend to create or necessarily want other than for making money and that was the first fandom in history. Um, I would argue that this was pretty relevant as no other written work or any work really had thousands and thousands of fans as Sherlock Holmes did. Um, the readers were so invested that they were willing to cancel their membership to this magazine. Um, specifically in protest of Sherlock Holmes being killed off. Uh, And as you can see now in modernity, we still uh, value and celebrate Sherlock. So the fandom continues. um, And it started in like 1893. Um, So I would say it's pretty substantial as far as fandoms go, as it has continued this far. And so those two things are the pretty decently major things that have come out of the circulation of Sherlock, but I I didn't really cover any um, on-screen adaptations of Sherlock, only written works and plays, so I'm going to do that now. Um, in 1916, um, a silent film uh, called Sherlock Holmes starred William Gillette and um, it was a collaboration with Doyle. Uh, he actually collaborated collaborated via telegram, which I find very interesting. Uh, and it was the first depiction of Sherlock with his famous curved pipe. So that silent film was pivotal in kind of creating his iconic image. Um, and then after Conan died, um, the first television show adaption was made in 1951. It starred Alan Wheatley, and the show aired for six episodes, but since it was live, like, no one knows what happened in it. It it was not recorded or saved, unfortunately. But after that, like, 50 movies were created. Like, 50 movies, um, multiple television series, they were all made before 2000. So in between 1950 and 2000, many, many accounts of Sherlock were put into our culture. So from this point on, um, traditional accounts of Sherlock weren't really meshing with modern culture. Um, well, I wouldn't say not meshing, but they it was a bit outdated in terms of it being in the 1800s and um, London and um, older values and less technology being used. So, did in 2010, the series Sherlock, starring Benedict Cumberbatch, came out. Um, it was the first ever 
adaptation of Sherlock that was put into a modern setting. So it was the same concept, a brilliant detective, um, friendly, charming, witty. It was just put into a modern setting. Um, same characters, same premise, but it appealed to the modern generations because it was still this great concept, but it was more relatable and it fit better with the current technology and the current understanding of culture. Um, it should also be noted that many other adaptations were made for TV after the 2000s, um, most notably starring Robert Downey, Do Robert Downey Jr., Johnny Lee Miller, and Ian McKellen. But uh, that's not the newest adaptation. Um, I would argue that the newest and most evolved version of Sherlock is when he was remediated into a female character, which was Enola Holmes. So, in the original story, Sherlock has a brother named Mycroft, but no sister. Um, in this adaptation, he still has the brother, Mycroft, but he also has Enola Holmes, his little sister. Um, and now there has been two movies made um, in this female adaptation, and they were written by Nancy Springer, and they are starring Millie Bobby Brown, who is a now prominent act actress. She starred in Stranger Things and now in Enola Holmes. And the premise is that she has the same extraordinary gifts as her brother, if not more extraordinary, but she is a woman. Um, it's still set in the 1800s, not modern, but she was a woman, so she had the complications of being oppressed and mocked and not listened to so it's a completely new perspective but I would say it still fits um, modern standards for what is seen as right and just because it gives a female lead the opportunity to be seen as just as important intelligent clever uh, capable as Sherlock was um, and it creates the expectation for equal opportunity. Uh, normalizing things like intelligence, um, competence in women was not always normal. And so normalizing it, even in mo very recent history, is only doing good things. It's only creating more opportunity for women and normalizing that women are equal in every way. So yeah, that was a overview of Arthur Conan Doyle highlighting his work on Sherlock and a bit of the circulation of that. Um, I wanted to make sure to include things on his life because I feel as though that explanation helped to explain many choices in his life, multiple attitudes that he had. Um, I wanted to make sure that it was clearly explained why he wasn't interested in his work with Sherlock. Um, I felt it was important to include that he felt he could produce something more, something better, something more meaningful but that's not what his fans wanted and I think that that's the kind of irony of it all is it's you might be good at something that you don't like doing but it can still be a valuable skill and it's always worth trying it's always worth putting into the world because you never know what will spark the interests of others and you know what they say, never delete anything you've written, you never know what could become famous after you die. Um, you never know what could gain traction after you die when you're alive, either way. And I just think this speaks to that notion that we all have something to offer. Um, you could also do much more than what you have to offer, do your hobbies, do your skills and you're, you have time for it all. I think that's the biggest me message here is 
you have time to accomplish many things. You have opportunities to accomplish many things. So why not go after all of it? Go after everything you can. Go after the things that make you money, but use that money to do things you really love. And live your life in a way that is virtuous and admire good qualities. I think Conan Doyle would have agreed with me when I say that a majority of the reason Sherlock was so likable was his personality and those traits are things that are seen as admirable because they're rare. So if you know you have something rare, share it. 